Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. Do you notice anything different? No product in your hair. No, there's product in there. I just no. it, it got put in a day or two ago and hasn't really been touched up. Um, look where my mic is. I can't really. Is that different than it normally is? Yeah, norm for like you know 250 episodes, it's been up like uh, this. Yeah, I don't I look. A, at, I don't look at you. I got a shorter stand. It's pretty cool. Good right? for you. Good for yeah. you. That's wonderful. Thank well, you. that's fitting of such a momentous episode because so much is going on in the world of Indiana athletics, notwithstanding you getting the shorter mic stand. Uh, before we get into any, before we get it's into what any, the people want to hear about, <laughs> before we get into any of that, we are powered by communitycars.com. You know what's funny is that's not even like a finished thing. He sent it to me as like the demo, and I'm like, yeah, we'll just use that. It's just Steve layered upon Steve, but we I give know, credit so to the full group. Steve layered upon Steve sounds like a good independent film that could be made. <laughs> yeah, maybe starring like, Steve Carell with clones. There's just like multiple Steve. Yeah, it's like Steve Carell playing a meta version of Steve Carell. I, I think it's time for a multiplicity reboot. So there you yeah, go. There you go. Um, Communitycars.com. You want to get your car in person? Boom. You want to get your car over the phone? Boom, boom. You want to get your car on the Internet? Boom, boom. You want to set your car on fire with a torch? Boom, boom. Evan Martin will call you and tell you how to get your car repaired after you set it on fire with a torch. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just the best company that if you're going to buy a car, don't be a jackass. Buy it from Community Cars. Let's get to it. Let's start with let's start with some good news, okay? Indiana men's soccer is in the, I don't know if they call it the Elite Eight. I've seen multiple things now. On TV, they kept calling it the National uh, Quarterfinals. That's what they kept calling Cat it. Catchy, real ring to it. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but Indiana put something out that said that they're in the Elite Eight. They are in the Elite Eight. It's the sixth time in Todd Yagley's run they've made the Elite Eight. I mean, it is just the definition of a dynasty. They upset number seven seed in Virginia, one nothing. Uh, I watched it. 
and we won? That's that's what's really remarkable. That's when you know a team is good. Two games in a row. Two games in a row. I watched the Sweet 16 matchup and this matchup. Well, and and this isn't the first time that they've come in not as like the highest seed or seeded, that it's just a program that even if they're putting new pieces together and figuring it out as the season goes along, by the time the tournament rolls around, you do not want to play Indiana University. Look, it's September, October, Yeagley, December. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> the, the month is Yeagley. And you're right. They're unseated. They they had a lot of emotion out there playing. I loved seeing that. Now they play Notre Dame, who's awesome. And I think the third overall seed, that's how they do it. They just seed the top 16, and Notre Dame is third. So it's going to be a tough, tough matchup. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a dynasty of a program and so much fun to watch. Uh, the other thing that happened over the long Thanksgiving weekend is that the volleyball program wrapped up their season, has a little something to do with our guest today, but we won't get into all the accolades because we will do that potentially with our guest. But a historic season for Indiana women's volleyball, Indiana women's basketball had a huge weekend down in Florida. Yep, that felt good. They smoked Tennessee. They smoked Princeton. And by the way, Princeton isn't bad. Princeton played us in the NCAA tournament last year, and we beat them by one point. Yep. Yeah. So, no, it, it was a major bounce back weekend. You know, and look, it helped. We weren't there. Clearly, it helped. We weren't there. Um, but for anybody who was rattled after the Stanford loss has got to feel so much better. Yeah, they just looked like. They're getting their mojo back a little bit. Sarah Scalia, I'm just going to say this. Sarah Scalia is playing at an All-American level. We need to, I know that we're on the Mack truck for All-American. She's preseason All-American. Sarah Scalia, if you look at her stats, Ward, she's shooting like 47, 48% from three on high volume. She's she's getting rebounds. She's dishing the ball. She is the prime. I mean, she's becoming the primary scoring threat for this team. Just drilling threes, step back threes, off the dribble threes, off the catch threes. And then when they're coming out on her, she's driving by them and hitting shots at the rim. She is playing unbelievable basketball. It is definitely uh, one of the scariest inside out combos in women's college basketball. Yes. So that's all great. And now let's talk about Indiana men's basketball. Hey, uh, I, you know, looking at almost 300 text messages driving down from the mountain in Lake Arrowhead, I was like, well, you know, I know there was big football news today, but this, this scares me. This concerns me that there's this many text messages I haven't read. So with great trepidation at like 9 p.m. last night, I start watching the game and was immediately pleasantly surprised you were pleasantly surprised with the whole game or the, no, the, the way it started with like McKenzie and running oh, a couple oh. sets for him and yes. I was just sort of anticipating I had many hours of dread built up because I'm like oh my god this is gonna be rough but you know and look I know that first half especially at the very end did not end well but I was mostly enjoying watching us play basketball throughout I thought we had good offense. I thought our defense was terrible in the first half. Just again, just wide open three after wide open three. And a lot of miscommunication out there. It's kind of crazy. It is. Um, but then the second half, especially with X not being able to play at all in the second half, and Gabe really just serving as traffic cop, though he wasn't really trying to pursue anything or impact anything offensively. Yeah. He had a good charge that he drew. Um, but didn't when make you any have, mistakes. 
Yeah, and but it's okay to have somebody, you know, guiding the traffic when the vehicles include Caleb Banks knocking in a couple three-pointers and your three bigs just laying waste to really both the inside and outside because, you know, Mac, Mac keeping him honest, uh, not clogging the lane, but then with Malik, despite his back flaring up, and then just Khalil looking every, bar, every part the bit of an NBA draft lottery pick. Every part the bick. Every part the bick. Yep, you heard it here first. <laughs> Every part the bick. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um, his skill level is crazy. Now, I am somewhat uh, nervous about what's going to happen in the Big Ten against big dudes. Like when we when he played against Donovan Klingon, who's granted seven foot two and giant and strong and a stud, and you don't play those every night. But he struggled against him on against UConn, and there are lots of big guys. Obviously, Edie Sissoko from Michigan State. Like there's there's big guys in the league that are going to be able to body him. And what I like is like. I know Woody has talked about like he's just got to go down there and mix it up, but like the mm-hmm. guy is so skilled, he shouldn't be just mixing it up on offense. Face, he face be the basket up. twelve feet away, and just like nobody's gonna jump up and block that thing coming so softly out. Like you know, he's releasing that ball at about eleven feet in the air, and let him t- face the basket from fifteen feet away. If you're not gonna guard him, I'm fine with him shooting that shot. And if you do come out and guard him, he's gonna be able to go around you. Like he's and he, the, the shot that he put up with his left hand at the end of the game, the guy is so skilled. The three pointer looked great. The long two looked great when the guy hurt his shoulder and he took advantage of it. Like, and then the, and the, the one shot, shot on the team, the one shot he missed to, to, to grab it and then to put it back in just in terms of like his motor was going the whole time. And that's what 31, 32 minutes of that guy going and going and look uh, Malik, uh, hopefully whatever is going on with his back is not going to be a long-term thing, but just came back so, in. yeah, came he back did in. So, just so efficient, just so efficient doing his work. And that's where it's like, you know, uh, even, even the slim down, but stronger Malik, uh, banging down low, you know, we need to talk about the other guys in the big 10, uh, who are big and large. And it's just like bruise them up with Peyton for a few minutes. Um, have Malik going at him a little bit. Like, I think this team should be able to dominate uh, all the other big 10 front courts. You know, look, you got to look at Michigan state because of everything they do. And then of course there's Edie, but in, in a lot of ways, I just think when you think about those three guys and the performance they had yesterday, if that's any kind of sneak peek at what's to come in the conference season, um, we should do well down low outside is another story. Well, um, that I, but I think they're connected because I don't think against big 10 teams, we will be able to do that down low unless we hit outside shots. Well, they're going to pack they it in. Just, they, they will pack it in. Yeah. They will pack it. Exactly. And they will be good at packing it in and they'll force turnovers and we will have to kick it out and we will have to make shots. And if we don't make shots, then Harvard isn't that good. Wright state isn't good. Florida Gulf coast isn't good. Army isn't good but against Michigan state and Illinois and Michigan, if they pack it in and we don't hit those outside shots, we are going to lose. And, and I don't understand how we're not hit. I mean, 
McKenzie foot on the line, CJ Gunn foot on the line, like really drove me insane. But we made four three pointers. Like it is historically bad how few three pointers we are hitting. And I don't think that is sustainable. My biggest concern for the team is the guard play overall, because I mean, Xavier has not been consistent yet this year. Now we'll see how long he's going to be out for if he's out at all. But Trey Galloway has been rough. I mean, Trey, I feel bad for Trey. His confidence is clearly gone. You don't miss shots like that with just mechanically. Like there is, there is something he's got the yips and and I feel bad for him, but he is nowhere near the player that he was last year. Nowhere near it right now. I'm trying to look at what we've seen so far in these games. Where could those three-pointers be coming from? <clears throat> and Caleb's making a case for it. Now, he's not a two. You know, as athletic as he is, he's no, just he's, two. he's McKenzie. And, and you know, so that's that's a little bit tricky. So who in the one and two slots? Gabe's, Gabe's not getting it done from outside. CJ hasn't been getting it done from outside. So it is scary to think about, like, when it's packed in, I think McKenzie is who you're really looking at. Um, you know, is is there? But he's not enough. Yeah, he's not I mean, enough. Who, who, I mean, look. If X is out for a little bit, uh, I I did want to see Anthony, who got a lot of run, and it was good to see. Um, you know, he clearly knows where he's supposed to be out there. I wish he could have tossed one or two up to see what that was looking like. Um, I know, but if Anthony Leal is playing, it means CJ Gunn isn't playing. And I think if you look at the future of Indiana, you've got a six foot six athlete from Indianapolis who wants to be at Indiana, who has potential to do more on the court than Anthony and. That's not a good thing for I, I don't believe it's a good thing for CJ. I don't think it's a good thing for Indiana. I love Anthony Leo. You you and I both love him. But yeah, but he's but, not a guy who's ever going to look for a shot. He's not a guy who can create his own shot. CJ has that potential. Getting him right is key for this team, because as you talk about where is it coming from, CJ is a two or could play a three, you know, because he can defend the three. It's it's a shame in so many ways, but looking over on that bench and seeing Jakai still in street clothes. And look, nobody was expecting him to come in as a freshman and be a huge contributor, but even if he could be somebody coming in off the bench and could hit a couple threes and open things up, it's just, you look down that bench and you're like, yeah, no, I I don't see where those three-pointers are coming from. And and that's That's not just a problem against teams that are going to be making more than we're attempting that's that's against really any modern basketball team that's going to be a problem yeah no that that is the single biggest concern for the team because look the front court has a lot of talent I mean Malik and Khalil and if McKenzie does and by the way McKenzie was one of five from three yesterday like it's not like he shot the lights out what he did do is play his ass off but he hit two others that were almost threes (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, no I, I but he played his ass off and he rebounded. I think he had eight rebounds and he got some putbacks and was on the aggressive on the free throw line. And I, I was totally happy with McKenzie playing. But I do think unless our defense somehow becomes elite, which we haven't seen, if you don't hit threes, it's really difficult to compete consistently against the top teams because your margin for error has just become so small. So And the defense has not been elite. The defense has not been elite in any of the games that we've played so far against overall bad competition. But now, Ward, 
We got four games coming up, so let's talk about it. We got Maryland and Michigan, home and away. We got neutral Auburn. We got home Kansas. What does success, this was asked to me on Spaces last night, what is success for you? You think that's success? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like obviously, I'd much rather it be three and one. Heaven forbid, four and zero. Oh, but when when I'm being realistic about where this team has, yes. is right now in the season, two and two is like okay. Uh, that I think two and two is acceptable. I don't think it's success. All right, that's fair. I'd go acceptable at two and two. Success at three and one, four and zero, orgasmic. <laughs> yeah yeah i agree but it all starts friday i mean friday is the the, not just because it's the next one but it is the on paper most winnable home game against a bad maryland team it's the Derek queen bowl and look the dq bowl Derek's got to be looking at what our frontline numbers are doing and when you figure oh probably one probably two of those guys are gone next year so I can be getting me some of that while my boy Liam is filling it up from outside that's got to be attractive but it would be even more attractive if we beat the holy hell out of the Terrapins. Terrapins. You know, somebody on Spaces said the exact same thing. How, if you're Derek Queen, if you're looking for the best place to go as a big man who doesn't really shoot a ton from the outside, but a big man who wants to be focused on, my God, look at Woody for the last three years. (laughs) Trey Jackson, Trace Jackson Davis was our point center. Malik and Khalil get the ball on every possession. Like, I mean, like, we are a team that plays from the inside out. Derek, what more do you want? Nobody else plays that way. <laughs> yeah, not many other schools can offer that. No one will do that. <laughs> so these next couple weeks, man, are exciting as hell, starting with Friday night. You going to come over for that game, Friday night? Friday night? Oh, I, You know, the the big school musicals this weekend. Oh, all right, so do you have to go for every one of them? Um, just the one my daughter's in, and I can't tell on my calendar which night she's in. So if she is not performing in Matilda that night, I will drive to Sherman Oaks yet again to be with you. My kids were saying that, um, that they're going to go to it. Um, great. I hope they go on the same night I do. Yeah, that will be nice. All right. Let's talk about the biggest piece of news in the IU athletic sphere. And that is of course, that Tom Allen was let go over this weekend. Um, a lot of people saw it coming. Uh, I, there was some question about the buyout. They negotiated the buyout down a little bit. But the truth is, if you ask me who won that, I, I, Tom Allen won that. Because, yeah, because what? They just had to wait another month and it would have been half that? No, 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 no. That's next year. It doesn't oh, drop. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, no. What, where he won, it's it's the lottery game where, you know, you win $100 million in the lottery. You can either take $50 million now or the full over 20 years or whatever it is. That's what they did. They're giving him 15.5, I think, earlier and I believe waived the offsetting language. Oh, really? So if he gets another job, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're going to pay 15.5, I believe. Wow. Million. Instead of 20, they got to come up with that money earlier. It's basically a wash. It's how, basically a wash. How many millions of dollars did he get for every game he won? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you got over a million dollars per victory. It, yeah, yeah, I think... Overall, it's probably right there. Yeah, when it's all said and done, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. just got 15 wins. Yeah, and and right, and and he hasn't look, had 15 wins the last three years. 
because what he ended up like 33 and 43 or something like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifth winning a scotch in football history at IU. Look, I'm going to say this. I believe it was the right decision to let him go. I believe Tom would tell you it's the right decision because it's about winning. And he, he was classy about it. I feel terrible for him because I liked him and you and I got to know him and got to spend time with him in person a few times and talk off camera. And genuinely, I don't think no matter who they hire, you will ever find somebody as passionate and committed to Indiana football as Tom Allen. It just didn't work. And he did give us two years of some of the greatest highlights that I I remember. I mean, I remember moments with Anthony Thompson and Vaughn Dunbar and Antoine Randall L, but those were really individual moments. The Anthony Thompson teams were good teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Antoine Randall L teams were not good teams. Those were, were just him. But the Penn State win, the Wisconsin win, the Michigan, Michigan. State wins. Yeah, I mean, the Michigan win. I will remember those for the rest of my life. And I thank Tom for that. And I think he's a good man who did things the right way. And I was never embarrassed that he was our coach. He never put the, the program in a bad situation. I'm sad that it didn't work out. I think it was the right decision to move on, but I'm sad for him. And I, I wish him well, and he's going to do very well with $15.7 million in his pocket. It's all the more disappointing because of those two exciting, thrilling years and th- the genuine belief by ourselves and so many others, like finally we got the guy it's all headed in the right direction. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of these things we were there for the Cincinnati game and, you know, McFadden being tossed from the game, you know, you could look at the, uh, the injuries to Penix. There's so many what ifs in, in this um, sudden, severe, and awful downward trajectory it took from us going into that Cincinnati game being like, boom, here it is. We're going to 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 rec- not reclaim. We were whatever we were ranked that game. It was like kind of prove that this program has at last arrived and it all has been. Uh, now, it's a coincidence we were there that day. It's a complete hey, coincidence. We weren't there for the Iowa game, even though we did an event out in L.A. for it. We weren't That's there. True for it that's true that's true so um it it is it is because of what a wonderful human being and his incredible passion uh for not only the university but the state and and wanting to grow the game in the state particularly in the post peyton manning era it was like ah god it was was right there and and sadly um the era is over but now iu people's favorite thing to do is play who's going to be our next coach it's our favorite game we play it too often but here we are again and uh let the the prognostications begin yeah um so there's been lists put out i would suggest if you are not a member of pigs.com matt weaver on pigs.com covers iu football better than anybody in the business period end of story full stop uh, it's a minimal investment to get as much Indiana news as you could possibly take. And he's put together a pretty good hot board. Um, I I've said, you know, on Twitter and stuff that I heard a few names like Paul Christ and I did hear Pat Fitzgerald and you and I were talking a little bit about this. I have no idea who they're ultimately going to hire. I will say, and I think you and I agree for the most part that when you look, well, let me, let me back up and say this. 
I don't think that it is possible for Indiana to hire a third deck home run coach. Okay. And I, I'm not talking relative terms. I'm talking a third deck home run is hiring like a Kirby smart, you know, at Georgia or, a um, uh, what's his name at Clemson Dabo Sweeney, you know, or Nick Saban when he got hired down in, in Alabama, we're not that program. No. So like, there's a certain level of just like no brainer guys that get taken off the list immediately. And then there's probably a group under that that are taken off the list because they're waiting for the SEC job to open or the better Big 12 school, you know, or or somebody like that or the better Big 10 job to open. It's so, relative. It's all relative to what what we would like and what we can actually get. And I think what we can actually get. No doubt there are some really good football names there. I don't know them that well. I don't follow mid-major football or even tier two power five football that well to know is this Matt Campbell from Iowa state, a great coach. I don't know. Heard his name mentioned a uh, pretty good, decent resume, been to a bunch of bowl games, but you just have to recalibrate yourself from an Indiana fan perspective that when you see a name listed, don't expect to go to his head coaching record and see him appearing in the orange bowl, Rose bowl, Fiesta bowl, BCS, you know, playoff. Like, it's just not, that's not who we're in the market for. Um, I have heard that they want somebody with head coaching experience. They don't want a coordinator. Mm -hmm. um, so I like Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, and I know there are many who disagree with me, but I put a giant premium on somebody who built what he built in the big 10 with resources that don't match the other big players that you are competing directly against. He had 10 bowl games in 17 years. We would take that. If you wouldn't take that at Indiana, you, you are out of your freaking mind, <laughs> yeah. right? You're but, out of your mind. Yeah. He struggled at the end. The last couple of years weren't great. Although I would say many of the people he recruited are there right now, including by the way, the head coach that he brought in and hired as his mm -hmm. guy. And they're going to a bowl game again. So he had two down years and now they're back in the bowl game. So I almost think you could give him some credit for this team. Um, and then there's the big PR bullshit that happened with him. I read as much as I could and talked to several people about it. And people in the know there say it was a lot of bullshit. Yeah. And that there were very real crimes that were alleged in that scandal. Crimes, Ward, not just sanctions. Like it wasn't cheating, it was crimes. Law enforcement looked into it and said, there's nothing here. We can't do anything with it. So, and he's suing Northwestern for $130 million and going to get a really hefty paycheck. Out yeah. Of I, I don't think you, you do that unless you think you have a really strong case. Um, we know that Indiana University is adverse to, um, negative publicity uh, around a, a coach you know you, you kind of look what what happened with kevin wilson um and you wonder if that's enough to keep them away from a guy who clearly has a resume like none other on the hot list because matt weaver's hot list hot board is pretty incredible and extensive i think there was 143 candidates on there <laughs> usually in descending order of of uh, perceived mutual interest what i do find very intriguing is you know the strong innuendo that 
Indiana has been doing due diligence already. Um, the decision to let Coach Allen go was certainly not a knee-jerk reaction to uh, losing the old Oaken bucket, and that they must be zeroing in on a couple three candidates, um, where couple three, and so it is. It is exciting to figure out um, who will be our next fearless leader on the gridiron, but going through that extensive list of candidates nobody's perfect there's there's you know whether it's fitzgerald with with the um allegations or anybody else it's like oh they're 65 or hey they've never coached at the division one level or uh, or the power five level at least sorry that's what i meant power five that there is no perfect candidate and that's exactly you said it much more concise than i did but that's who we are that that's where the indiana football program is there, and, and USC, is, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, hey, Clemson. Hey, we can get Dame. a USC coach. He's on the list. We, there's but, one but of those can, in there. They can hire the perfect candidate. Yeah, right. We um, can't. And and so I guess what I would like, and I don't know who this guy is. Fitzgerald's still pretty young. And Forty-eight. I'm, yeah, I'm still still certainly uh, on board with that idea. And this is where, whether it's Scott Dolson or who's advising him. And look, and we fell into this trap, I think, with with Archie Miller on the basketball side. But can you identify the guy who's got a lot of gas left in the tank for his career, who is the best combination of of football strategy, exit O, play calling acumen with with the recruiting juice? You know, our guest today He's got that recruiting juice, and you can't have one without the other in this day and age and hope to get to bowl games on a consistent level. So I just really hope whoever is in charge of this search slash advising this search on who's the guy who's got the brain and the persona to bring those two things together rather than just just looking at what they did. It's like, no, who's, you know, because look, Hey, I, after I watched the late night on delay Harvard game, I watched the Colts game and that Shane Steichen is six and five with this team. The Colts are now in a wild card slot with, right. without their starting yeah. quarterback. Worst it's, possible thing for the future of the organization. You, you couldn't be more wrong. You could not be more you wrong. Watch, you if, watch. If we didn't have our franchise quarterback, I'd agree with you. But I, You don't know that you have your franchise quarterback. I'm pretty sure we do, so long as he can stay healthy. The well, point yeah, that being, last part's important. The point being, he's the coach. Like, this dude is the coach. You're he, sold on him. He can get the most out of his personnel, game in and game out. He can adapt. He can adjust. And I just I just want IU, and you know it's a little bit scary because if you do identify that younger guy who's kind of brilliant, um, he might not stick around for that long. But for IU, if we got a guy for four or five years, he got uh, us in some goals and got us to the next level and made us a more attractive landing spot for the next good coach, great. Just I am totally give us that. Um, I got into a back and forth online because there was this thought of like, Indiana just needs to hire the best football coach don't worry about quote unquote winning the press conference, just win football games. And I think that that is old school thinking, especially in the era of NIL that would get Indiana a disaster of a coach. 
because I think to your point, we're, we're saying it different ways, but it's the same thing. You need the coach to your point that can have the juice to go out and recruit and recruiting at Indiana is hard. Yeah, It's really hard, but you know what helps recruiting NIL, you know, what helps NIL a coach that can inject enthusiasm and energy into the fan base, both with, whatever his track record is, but his force of personality, that is going to matter. And so while winning the press conference has become like nomenclature for, oh, we're just trying to look for sizzle over substance, that's bullshit. The sizzle matters on some level here. You, you, And they aren't mutually exclusive. Right. In some people they are. In some people they are. Stay away from those people, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but we don't get, we're not making the decisions here, but Archie Miller was, had substance. I know it didn't show up in Indiana, but he couldn't recruit. He couldn't recruit because he didn't have any of the sizzle at all. And I think you need both, especially with NIL. We need an enthusiasm jolt at Indiana. And that's not going to come with, in my opinion, a boring Paul Christ type or a guy that no one knows who, when he gets on the microphone, gives us a lecture on X's and O's and football schematics and doesn't inject enthusiasm into the fan base. I think you should try as hard as you possibly can to get both. They're all important. Enthusiasm for the program from the fan base leads to NIL. NIL leads to retaining your players and attracting recruits. Attracting recruits and retaining your players leads to winning on the field. So I think that they're that they're not mutually exclusive. And to your point that we talked about before the show, there aren't a ton of names that jump off the page on that list. And you and I don't know football nearly as well to know. We don't follow college football at those levels to know if those guys are geniuses. If there's a a Shane Steichen out there that we don't know about. Great. I just hope he's got the energy and passion that's going to invigorate this fan base because it needs it. We need it for ticket sales. We need it for NIL. We need energy around this program in addition to the substance to win football games. It's existential, not just for football, but for IU athletics in general. So let's get that higher right and just have lots of fun stuff to talk about in the fall moving forward. That being said, yes. Yes. I Eric. just want to make one more point about something you said about Indiana being averse to, you know, people with scandal, which has been historically true. I will say it was Fred Glass who fired Kevin Wilson. Fred Glass was in a very different position in his tenure at Indiana and his security. I think Scott Dolson looks around and goes, I, I football has to win like basketball isn't gangbusters right now. Football has to win. And I gave Tom that extension and it didn't work. And now I've got to eat money that I shouldn't have had to eat. This is the most important hire he can make for yep. all the existential reasons you talked about. And to me, it may be Scott going, I'm not as secure. I, I need the big swing, which is why, you know, the, Maybe he hazed a little bit, but maybe we could use some of that toughness. Maybe we could use some of that toughness. I don't know. I just think you take the bigger swing here. Even if the bigger swing isn't the big money guy, we're not going to get Urban Meyer. But if the big swing is a guy who you know has a track record that can do it and has done it and is still 48, the yeah. guy coached 17 years and he's 48 years old. Yeah. Like, and he would come back angry. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I'm all for it. I'm yep. all for it. Well, um, and, and I, you know, I think, 
I think Fred Glass identified a coach like that. I think that coach is on our podcast today, and I think we should bring that guy on right now. Here comes our guest. Here comes our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are entering into new territory here because this man and his program are entering into new territory, historic territory even. But before we get into all of that, you got to know who he is. Eric, who is this gentleman? Hailing from London, Ontario, Canada, by way of playing volleyball at Penn State, where he was a two-year captain. He, in the four years that he played at Penn State, went to three Final Fours. That's pretty freaking good. He started an assistant coaching career with two different stints at his alma mater at Penn State. He was there in 2007, 2012, and 13. In 2007 and 13, he won the national championship and then was in Final Four in 2012. He became the head coach at Maryland in 2014 through 2017, where he turned a dormant program around, had top 20 classes in the country recruiting before Indiana came calling. And he came for another restoration project at Indiana University in 2018. His first year at Indiana, they swept Ohio State for the first time in a decade. They also beat number 14, Michigan. His second season, And we love this beat number 15, Kentucky in Lexington. Love that the first win against Kentucky since 1996, by the way, you're going to sense a trend with first time since, and then insert a date a long time ago with our guest today. It was our first ranked non-conference win since 1998. He then of course had to deal with the COVID shortened schedule, which in volleyball meant only playing the conference, which meant playing the best conference in the country. 2021 uh, started to rebuild. And then last year, 2022, won nine conference matches for the first time since 2010. The highest teams finished in the conference since since the Big Ten expanded to 14 teams. Beat number five, Ohio State, and number 25, Michigan, on the road. The first season in program history with multiple road victories over ranked teams and the first program history victory over a top five team on the road. Incredible season. So the expectations were raised for 2023. The season just ended. What did he do? The team won 21 games tied for the program record since 1981 when volleyball became accepted in the NCAA and Big Ten. Finished tied for sixth in the Big Ten, the best finish since 2008. 11 wins in the Big Ten, most in 25 years. The best Big Ten finish since the te- since the conference again went to 14 teams, the second year in a row that happened. And the first top half finish in the Big Ten in 25 years. It is unbelievable what this gentleman has done with the Indiana women's volleyball program. It is a turnaround, the likes of which don't happen in college athletics. And we have been talking about doing this episode for a long time. This seemed like the perfect time. I do think they got robbed and should be playing in the NCAA tournament and he shouldn't be able to talk to us right now, but we'll get into that later. Please welcome the one and only coach Steve Aird. Hell of an intro, boys. Thank you very much. I think the only thing that was absolutely patently false is you said he 15 times when it, it really is us. And you know that we've got incredible kids, great staff. It doesn't happen. It's a it doesn't happen without a great ecosystem. But I do appreciate the love. Thank you. You are right. And and I will say this just right off the bat. 
I had a unique opportunity with the team coming to LA or to Long Beach. And I took my kids and we went and watched it. It was a tough, tough several days against some of the best teams in the country, but got to hang out with the team a little bit. Who's your fans? You, you cannot be more proud of the group of, of young women that coach and his staff have assembled. They are incredibly polite, respectful, big personalities, look you in the eye, ask questions, talk to my kids in not a patronizing way, but like a real way. You have built, and I will say you, because you are the head of the snake here, you have built with your staff an unbelievably um, prideful program that we should all take great, um, happiness and joy in it's amazing. I just want to get that off the, off the, off the top. I'm blown away by this group of young women in this program and really excited to talk to you about your whole career. Thank you, man. Uh, they're incredible kids. I mean, I think it's a three, seven GPA. We've got kids from different countries that represent their country internationally competing. Um, they come early, they stay late, they care, they pick up trash, they open doors. They're great role models. Everything that an IU fan would want as a representative, we've got them in, in spades. So we're really proud of that too. Coach, I wonder how on the heels of such a great season and you expected not to make the tournament. I think those of us who don't know as much about volleyball and, you know, the ins and outs of the non-conference schedule and how the Big Ten overall did, we really felt you deserved to be in there. How do you, uh, for yourself, but more importantly for the team, um, what do you take from a season that went so well, but now ends without a shot to make a run to the final four like you as a player did? Well, I think uh, so much of it was out of our control. Um, when you look at the math, it's really just math and RPI. So, so whereas basketball, I think, has gotten better at having different metrics and different systems and trying to look at different numbers and then having human beings with eyes say, hey, this team's really good or this team has stuff that's different. Um you know, Jeremy Gray, who's our administrator, said to me yesterday, it, we're like a baseball team where if you sneak into the tournament and they got a pitcher that throws 100 miles an hour, you're in real trouble. We're mm -hmm. the best serving team in the country. Um, we have the best server in the country, I think, in Cameron Hayworth, who's a spectacular athlete. But this is back-to-back -back years, I think, the first time in history where we have a team that had 200-plus aces. And mm -hmm. so we have a lot of things we can do. The bottom line is the – Schools in the Big Ten that traditionally are unbelievably tough and have very high RPIs didn't this year. And somehow, you know, beating an Illinois or beating a Michigan or beating an Ohio State wasn't viewed as a big time win this year where those teams were unbelievable still. It's just the math. It's preseasons. It's stuff we couldn't control. Uh, we had a really good preseason. We went to, uh, as Eric said, we went to California. We played Long Beach, UCLA and Washington, which was by design. We wanted to play really good teams try to grow. Then we went down to Miami in South Beach and, and beat them. They ended up making the tournament. So we picked off a few tournament teams. Obviously, we beat Purdue to win the win the spike and the trophy, and that was cool. They hadn't done that in a while. So th there was a lot of things to love on. And when I met with the team last night, I just told them I was incredibly proud. And you can't get caught up in what you can't control. There, we lost some five-game matches We we you know at Penn State. Um, we lost in four at home to Nebraska. Probably should have been a five-game match. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's the devil's in the details. I think we had a, an unbelievable year. We're incredibly proud, but we'd still be hungry about getting better and, and, and outdoing it next year.
Now you're in a unique position uh, for next year, and we're we're going to go back to your whole life. But before we do, I want to talk about what's happening now. You're in a unique position in that you're bringing, unless something weird happens, most of the team back. So you don't have like a big recruiting class. You're recruiting, and I know you can't really talk about recruiting past that, but your recruiting is really starting in 2025 for this group, and the rankings of your team are like ridiculous. What what you have coming, but. How rare is it to have a team that is coming back virtually intact uh, year to year? And how excited are you seeing what you've done 2022, 23 and what's in store for 24? Yeah, I think, you know, we'll have end of season meetings here soon. Um, we believe that most everyone comes back. We have a few seniors that'll move on. We've got Kaylee Ramelsberg is going to go play professionally. So she's nice. working on contract details now. And that's another, uh, a fantastic thing for our program. So I think, uh, they were disappointed yesterday. I think they were upset yesterday. I think they kind of knew the, the situation, but at the same time understood that it was out of our control. And we have kids that were in the gym this morning saying they wanted to get to work and we said, well, we're not allowed to train you because that that's what the rules say. But if you want to sweat, go ahead and sweat. So, you know, th these kids are uh, we've got a lot of kids who are kind of built that way now. Uh, they're about at 365 days a year. They're tough. They care. I'd be shocked if we're not significantly better next year in a variety of areas. And um, whether the country's better, or the conference is better. We're adding four of those teams from the West Coast, just like every other Big Ten team. So. Uh, three of the four have won a national championship and the one was in a final four last year. So do you know your schedule yet for next no, year? We won't for a while. Um, they, what they do now, Eric, and it actually hurts us with travel, but it's great for the sport. They're treating women's volleyball, like men's basketball, women's basketball. So we, we fly, you know, we we're chartering to matches. We're playing midweek matches on TV. We're playing Sunday afternoons on TV, ESPN, Fox, big 10 network but they won't slate our schedule until after they know what's going on with basketball and football, because a lot of the places like here, we can't play at the same time where we really try to avoid playing at the same time as hoops. Cause it's really hard on the fans. And uh, the last couple of weeks, it was great for us because uh, right behind us is soccer and they were winning the big 10 at the same time we were playing Minnesota and we lost to Minnesota in five by three points. We didn't have a student section. They were all at soccer and I wanted them to be at soccer. They were, they were going to win the big 10, man. Like, you, you, it's just a scheduling issue. It's not a support issue uh, or people caring issue. We had a lot of season ticket holders that were mad. They couldn't be at women's basketball and volleyball at the same time. So we're working through all that. It's really hard for the administration because they don't get the schedules till super late. Um, we have a lot of student employees too, that like help put on these productions that it's really hard on them as well. So we'll see. I think it's the, the, the sport is growing in leaps and bounds. Uh, we're really happy about how it's growing at IU and these are good problems. These aren't bad problems. Let's talk about how it's growing at IU right now as far as the fan base goes. Eric and I were lucky enough to get into, into your beautiful facility there, um, and there was a good crowd there, but that was, what, two, three seasons yeah. ago, and now yeah. you got that place rocking. What does that do for your players, yourself during a game, and even something like recruiting when you're pitching the program to potential players? Yeah, it matters. <clears throat> it goes back to Fred Glass. Uh, when he was here and having the vision, uh, Jay Wilkinson, who's one of the bigger donors here is just absolutely in love with this program. And he's him and his wife, Melissa are unbelievable people. They, they built this thing right beside assembly hall and we're a basketball school. We've been a basketball school and it's the, it's the heartbeat of campus. And 
uh, when they put it right beside it, it's like, hello, you know, it used to be a couple miles off. I joke with people all the time. When I, when I coached at Penn State, we'd fly into the airport in Bloomington, we'd stay downtown, but then we'd drive a couple miles off campus, play, and then drive around campus. I never was on campus. We didn't spend <laughs> time and we never saw, like I was never in assembly hall. I never saw football. Um, so it's different now. The, the freshman dorms are right across the street. I think if you're on campus, you can do what basketball people do. You can go downtown to Knicks and Kilroy's and have a pint and then come over to the mat. Like those things matter just to be able to do those things. Um, I've always wanted the student section to be real. That's just part of what I, what I enjoy. I wanted a DJ. I wanted it to be live and fun. And uh, it is. And uh, yeah, we sold out a bunch of times this year and I don't think that'll slow down as we keep getting better. One of the things that I love about you is you have such a good perspective on, you said just now, we're at a basketball school. Indiana's a basketball school. And I've talked to other coaches in the last several years at Indiana, some who are there and some who aren't, who resent that a little bit or or resent that maybe their sport isn't getting the same attention that other sports get, same finances, whatever. But every conversation I've ever had with you is the opposite of that. You're just, you're thankful. You're, you're happy to be at Indiana. You support the basketball team. You have season tickets there. You support the football team. You support soccer. Why is it important for you to just be so supportive of everything else that's going on at Indiana? Let's start with this football. Football has got to get it right. Cause we got to get football, right? Because football pays for everything. So as much as basketball is the show, it is when football is going at a college D1 program, that's the show and that's going to help pay for everything. So that's that's number one. I want to say publicly, I absolutely love Tom and I'm gutted for him because of how much he loved it. But I think there's a level of excitement. We want to see where this thing goes. And um, I have a lot of faith in Scott and the uh, administration. And we could talk about that stuff forever. You know, a few years ago, it was you can't let him leave. Few years later, it's like, what are you doing? Like, listen, it's an incredibly hard job. I think we've got really smart people in place that care a ton about Indiana. So, I, I'm excited for football. It's going to be great. Uh, I've known Woody and his wife for 15 years. I mean, I, I was coaching his daughters in the club world, um, and Terry Woodson. Terry Woodson's one of the best human beings on the planet. I absolutely adore her, and she calls me every couple of weeks to tell me what I'm not doing enough of and what I need. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I, I think it's great because she's passionate. She's been great to our kids. Um, I've known Coach Woodson since his days with the Knicks and the, and the Hawks and um, just have tremendous respect for him and what he does. Terry's the blueprint. I mean, she she took a program from not very good to what they are now. So if I can be half of, of what Terry, Terry um, Morin's done with women's basketball, I'll be thrilled. And then we support everyone else. But listen, it's a I, I have a business background. I got a business law degree. I spent four years in California doing business stuff. And the dollar matters. It's going to come back to money and NIL money. And um, the history of this athletic department is so rich because of Bob Knight and basketball and what basketball does and now what Terry's doing and hopefully what football is going to do. And that's just the truth. I think Big Ten women's volleyball is as important a sport in a conference as any in the country. It's been the best conference in the country for a really long time. And we are with some blue blood heavyweights that have won, you know, 12 of the 18 teams next year have won a national championship. Mm. I think wow. so it's something crazy like that, where it's like, okay. Um, or have been to a final four. Like they're just, it's unbelievable how many good teams there are. But if you're talking more about finances and how, how the company runs, it, it starts and finishes with, with hoops and football. And, and I think it, you're naive if you don't want that to be the case, we need them to have absolutely everything they possibly can have to have success. 
And that's the reason we're allowed to operate the program at a, at a level, which is going to be competitive. Awesome. Well, I mean, we could, I think we could go off in any direction with you for a very long time and have a good time with it, but we should hop in the time machine and go back to London, Canada, mm -hmm. uh, and, and get your origin story. Um, let's start off with when did you, when did young Stevie find the game of volleyball? This is real simple. And we're not going to spend much time on this because it's not, I, listen, when you grow up in Canada, it's cold. <laughs> football football is not the show. Never the toughest dude either. So I was like, that's probably not my thing. I was a pretty good basketball player, pretty good volleyball player. But the long story short is in ninth grade, I tried out for the volleyball team. They had exceptional coaches. Uh, they had a, a player on the national team at the time who was a senior in high school. His name was Paul Durden. And he was the guy that I looked up to much like people would look up the best basketball player, or the best football player. He was my North star in terms of trying to be a volleyball player. Um, and then I got pretty good. And so I was with the national team program. Uh, I was able to get a scholarship to go to Penn state and play. And then I got a business law degree and I wanted to be an agent. And after uh, my four years at Penn state, uh, the head coach there was, uh, was, is, will always be my mentor and said, you should try this coaching thing. I kind of GA'd for a year and then I wanted to get a job as an agent or work with a pro team. And then uh, my first job, I was 22 years old and I was at Davidson for a cup of coffee, but I was at Auburn as a 22, 23 year old as an assistant in the SEC. So, you know, I'm in my early forties, but I've been doing this 20 plus years and I've had the best of mentors and the best of people around me. And um, I didn't start sports till pretty late. I didn't pick up hockey early. Most of the guys back home who were really good at hockey were good by the time they're six. And so, uh, and my dad's from Glasgow in Scotland and my mom's from Cork in Ireland. Huh, so nice. there wasn't a lot of like, Hey, you've got to be the next Tom Brady. You know what I mean? It was like, you pick a sport and they had no idea what volleyball was. And I just told them that the guy who's really cool at school that all the girls liked, uh, played volleyball. And I figured that was something I'd try. So that was really <laughs> it. I, I gotta say though, uh, I've spent some time in Cork and if you had asked me, what city reminds you of Coach Aaron? I would have said Cork because <laughs> yeah. you're a it's a blue collar town. It's a grinded out town. It's good people. They are exactly who you think they are. There's no bullshit with them. And that's who you are. When you were a kid, I, I get that you're a very ambitious guy. You're you're a big personality. I get the sense that you were the guy that like. I don't know. Did you have like a side business in high school and up through like, were you, were you doing things outside of school that were just projects that you took on? You always seem to be a guy that, that is thinking other things. A, a little bit. I mean, we worked really hard. I mean, in the summers in high school, my dad was a really, my dad was a gas fitter. So he fixed furnaces and propane tanks and ended up working for the, the government, but he would set up, you know, I got a job at a uh, gas station and my brother and I used to scrape down propane tanks and paint them in the summer. Uh, we did some real blue, blue collar stuff and we did. My my dad is um, a really, really sharp businessman, but he is the teddy bear who just loves you. And if he meets you, he hugs you. And that's what he does. My mom was where I got, I think most of the, if my dad is the street start smarts, my mom's the book smarts. She's absolutely brilliant and incredibly cutting. Like if I played bad, you played bad. Your team mm -hmm. wasn't good. Your team wasn't good. They didn't try hard enough. Like always kept me in that in between space. Um, but what it shook out, I think, and I appreciate the, the line there, Eric, about that. What it shook out, I think, is 
my dad's line's funny because he's Scottish. He says, we're Irish. We love to drink, but we're too cheap to pay for it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm on the flip side of that. If you're in my circle, you never get to. Um, like my people I take care of, my, my inner circle is really tight. My staff, my best friends, my my family, my wife. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. And like um, my people know they're my people because they never touch a bill in their life. Like that's just how this works. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, we're we're Irish and Scottish and we like to watch sports and we like to have pints and we like to hug each other and cry and do the things you're supposed to do, man. You, you only get one shot at this thing. So you're so focused and efficient. Like when I ask you that origin story question, normally that sets up about a dozen questions where we slowly methodically go through your career as a player and a coach and you got through it in like two minutes the entire Warren, I was, segment i was i was a decent player i was a better captain than a player uh i think i'm a good coach i think i'm more of an entrepreneur than a coach i've got a great staff i've got really good players and if you've got good players ask any of the coaches you guys know if you've got really good players you're a good coach so right. it does come back to recruiting and eric you're right i can't talk about it but it's happening here and we've got big time kids coming and we've got big time kids here and um, yeah, I like talking about me is not what I'm into. We can talk about most anything else, but that, and I'm, I'm open to it, but you don't get anywhere without really good help and really good. Like our, my staff is unbelievable and, and the people we have here and the support we have here is awesome. So, um, it's not to be curt with that word. It's just, I'm not as interested in that as I am other stuff. I do appreciate that. And it leads me to a two, a two part question. I think you'll really be into when identifying people you want on your staff and players you want on your team, what are the qualities you look for? Entitled to nothing, grateful for everything, number one. Hmm. Just people who understand that what we get to do every day is straight, fun, and and happy, and lucky. And um, that, I want people who, uh, if you pay them five bucks, are worth seven. Like, be more valuable to the place you are than what you're getting compensated. I think that's a big thing. I feel that way with... Anyone who gets an opportunity at this level, that's why I tell the kids all the time, not every one of them is going to be an All-American. I get that. But they should be in early. They should stay late. They should crush film. They should be a good teammate. It's why I love Gabe Cups. Like that kid I met in the summer, I'm, I'm the number one fan of that kid because every single time I'm over there, he's in a full sweat. So for as much as people, at some point, he'll have a bad game and he'll hear it from everyone. And I'll be like, hey. Like this kid grinds, you know, like they work really, really hard. It's every time I hear people get mad about they don't make free throws. Like those guys aren't working. Like those guys are grinding. Like they work as hard as you could possibly imagine. So um, I'm crossing the streams a little bit, but I, that's what I care about. I care about people who care. Um, we do have big personalities. Cause I like that. Uh, my mentor taught me to recruit kids with character, but also recruit characters. I want to be one fun people, you know, I, I'm okay with a little bit of edge and a little bit with kids who are a little, you know, you know, maybe uh, having a little bit of fun here and there. That's okay. I think that's part of it. They're, they're learning to be a better version of themselves when they're here and they're growing up. And um, you know, I'm team kid mostly until you cross me or you go over the line and then we move you on. But, but for the most part um, we got a great group and the staff works their butts off. And um, those are the things I value. Great. I, I know you don't like talking about yourself, but one of the reasons that you're at Indiana and and it's I think probably it was the biggest reason was you have a reputation for being a really good recruiter. You you did really good job at Maryland, which had done nothing for a while. And you came in and delivered some good recruiting classes. What. Take yourself out of your your own self for a second and yeah. look at Coach Aird 
and tell us why Coach Aird is a good recruiter. What what is it? Because recruiting to Indiana, again, I want to make the point. Recruiting to Indiana volleyball. You brought up the Terry Moran example. It's even worse than what that was when she took over. And we love Terry. And what she's done is remarkable. But the lack of success at IU Volleyball is historic. So how, what is it about Coach Aird that allows him to be a good recruiter? Well, one caveat, and, and you're not wrong. They've had good coaches. They've had good teams. They had a really good team in 2010. They've had good players. It, they've been in a conference, much like wrestling here and football here. It's just so damn hard to win. So Fair I never enough. wanted to look like uh, there wasn't anyone here that was real. There was, and they were good. And no, and I'm not denigrating their effort. I, I, I know you're not for sure. Like, I get that. I just want I want to make sure that That's everyone fair. hears me say that. Um, here's what I know, and I don't think it's about me again, but I, it, the school is unbelievable. You guys know this. So if you bring a, a kid to campus and you walk them around, like it's one of the most beautiful campuses in the country. The educational experience is great. It's a, a rabid fan base for athletics. You'll walk around town and people will say, hey, good luck tonight, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the, the experience here, I think, is great. It's the best conference in the country. Mm-hmm. So much like if you're if you're going to look at whoever football hires, and if you're around the country in the portal, and I say to you, listen, big-time campus, you get to play Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon on national TV. Do you want to be a pro? Like, come to IU, let's get this done. Real simple. It's what Woody's done with basketball. It's come play all the tradition, all the history. We do not have the tradition to lean on the same way basketball does or football, but we do have the opportunity. And then there, I had to find some kids who said, yeah, I want to build something in a, in a situation that it's highly unlikely it could maybe get there. And that's the kind of human being. It's the same thing in business. It's the same thing. If you're running a hotel or a restaurant, you got to find people who are kind of the uncola. Who look at it and go, here's all the reasons why it's not going to work, but I just got a feeling it's going to work. And so that's always been the attraction of some of the kids. Um, You know, I think we're supported really well here. The facility is unbelievable. Um, And we do have the ability, and this is not to talk too much about the staff or myself, but if you want to go on and play at the highest level, we've been able to do that. I've been, I've been in the gym with really good players. I think we've got a, a pretty good idea of how to develop talent and help you go on and do good stuff. And and that's a fact. We've got kids here who are playing with their national teams and going on and playing professionally and are going to start getting end of the year honors and breaking records and doing stuff like that. So it takes time. Uh, I would love to have microwaved it. You can't. It's baking and it's slow and it's steady. Um, and I'm grateful that Indiana sees that and understands that and wants me to build it the right way. And um, it's never a straight line, man. It's It goes up, down, up, down. And um, But eventually, like popcorn, it pops. And things um- I want to ask a follow-up question to recruiting because, you know, we've talked about it on basketball. Indiana is in an advantageous position for the most part in recruiting in that there is a hotbed of really good basketball players around Indiana. The state of Indiana per capita has always delivered more than it should. You talk about like, you know, delivering $7 of value for $5 of salary. The state of Indiana does that with recruiting prospects. As I have learned more about volleyball, I have learned that Munciana which is a club volleyball based out of Muncie, Indiana, just what an hour and a half, two hours away from Bloomington is one of the best hotbeds of volleyball in the country and has been for a long time. And my understanding is that Indiana has never been able to truly take advantage of that from a recruiting standpoint. Was that part of your draw to Indiana that you had this Muncie thing that was well-known everywhere and you thought that could become potentially a pipeline? 
I think I have to be careful how I answer uh, okay. for compliance reasons. Volleyball in Indiana is really good. There mm -hmm. are a lot of really, really good clubs. There's a lot of really good players. I would say that one of my stated goals when I got here was to recruit the state. Got it. Okay. And I get Purdue didn't like it. And I get the other schools didn't. I understand that, but this is too good a state with too many good volleyball players and coaches. And I'm not talking about the highest of the high end. I'm talking about high school coaches, club coaches, people in this state can flat out coach. Now, most of the people, you know, when, when you talk about the history of the state, there's a lot of Purdue connections. They've been really good for a long time. The family's been, their roots are very, very deep and they're really, really good. And I've always said, I have a ton of respect for what they do and how they do it, but it didn't mean that we can't recruit the state. Like I wasn't going to sit down at the table and just say, oh, these other schools are recruiting you. So I'm not interested. So what's happened, I think over the last couple of years um, is that we've recruited and, and intentionally gone after the best kids. And now we're starting to get them. And that's so you are seeing fruits of your labor in the state of Indiana. Yeah. And some of it was some kids early and Cam Hayworth's a great example. Cam committed as a ninth grader, 10th grader pre before the rules went. And I told her she was going to be great and she's great. Like she's just done everything she's supposed to do and she's become one of the best players in the country. So I think that's, that's the stuff when you see it, everyone wanted to go to school here because they loved it. The conference was unbelievable. They just weren't having the success. The facility just wasn't it. And that was, that was it. I mean, they've had, like I said, they've had really good players and really good coaches. I think it was a confluence of a bunch of things. And I just happen to be the, the custodian of it right now and, and get to, you know, kind of pick through some of the, some of the blessings that have been bestowed, you know, it's, it's easier to leverage great facilities and, and, uh, and stuff. And yes, I've had some success and yes, I, I can do my thing, but um, there's a lot going on that I, you said, Hey, we want to be good at this uh, to help. The first time we met, I think Eric and I got us a, a taste of what it must be like to be recruited by Coach Aird because <laughs> we, we met up. You brought us like six duffel bags worth of swag, great <laughs> volleyball swag. We still have. But really what I took away from that was this incredible energy and self-confidence in what you were building. And you said then it was going to take time. It wasn't going to be a microwave job. I wonder where where your energy, where your confidence comes from. Is that the way your parents raised you? Were you born that way? Was that just being incredibly successful with a bunch of Final Four runs to Penn State? How do you be how, – how, how can you go into a recruit's home and convince them? Because it's got to be sincere that you're – building a monster I, I think genuinely just I'm just not afraid to fail hmm. and, and again like I told you earlier it's about my people it's about my wife and kids it's about my friends it's about the kids who play here that's what it's about I don't wear watches I don't have fancy stuff like for me it's about everyone else but me but if I had to live on the couch at my parents house and I needed three months to get back to where I needed to get back I'd get back you know, so like, I, I'm not afraid of, uh, I think being authentic is key. I think that's number one. I think not being afraid of failure is key. And that only can happen if you've got a great ecosystem. So I've got an amazing wife. I've got great kids. I've got really good friends, really good staff. Like I don't fear much of anything. Um, and you better because you're either absolutely off the charts crazy to take this job or you have an idea and a plan that it might work. Um, and I do think, I do think, and I failed miserably. Like my first, my first assistant coaching job at Auburn, my first year, we were one in 27, mm. you know, then it was 10 and 18. Then it was 18 and 10, you know, as a player, I, I've done everything. I was the best player 
I was, I've been cut. I, I was the starting this. I've been benched. I've, I can look at every single kid I have and say, I know how you feel no matter what it is. Mm. You know, at one point I was one of the best players in the country and I'd started in final fours and then I was beat out by freshmen. You guys get it. It's the journey. So I'm just, I, I guess fearless would be the word, but I think it comes with an asterisk because I just have too many people around me that um, I know if I needed something, they'd have my back. And when you have that, I think that leads to a lot of the um, kind of the confidence to sit down. And the other thing too, is I tell parents this all the time, we're going to take care of your kid. You know, we've had people come through that don't believe that potentially I get that. But if you talk to, if you talk to people, like if there's a kid off campus and she blows a tire, I'm sprinting, like I'll get it fixed. Or if there's a death in the family or something happens, we will, we will do everything as long as they're equally as loyal to what we're doing here. And I think that's an important thing too. I am incredibly protective of what IU is offering these young people because of how much they get. All I'm asking is that they give, that's it. And just work and, and be good people and good custodians of the, the program while they're here. And this group has been unbelievable. So they certainly have. You talked about how it's never a straight line up, that there's ups and downs. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention one of the downs that happened in 2022, about a year and a half ago. Uh, article came out in the IDS, um, which I will not refer to as a journalistic endeavor because it's not. Um, and there was a lot of negativity towards you. And a yeah. lot of people in that ecosystem jumped on that without knowing anything, without doing any of their own due diligence. And it was a dark time for you. And I can imagine a dark time for the program, just having to go out and answer those questions as you continue to try to build a program. Sure. I will say this because I know you won't say it, but that came out in the IDS and it was this sprawling article with very serious allegations not picked up by any other publication. No thread in that was pulled on by anyone else uh, of, of legitimate substance to say there was something real here. Indiana did their own internal investigation, thorough, and said there was nothing there. And I want to make this point. Indiana is fine getting rid of people if they think that there's something there. They've done it in the past. They'll do it in the future. They are a public education institution that doesn't want that stink on them at all. So I always, when that stuff came out, and I knew you and never believed that stuff, but we let it play out. And I believe you've been exonerated. Um, but I do want to ask you just, that was a down in the roller coaster. Sure. How in the hell did you get through that well so i have a business law degree and i read a little bit here and there so i like to think that i have some type of balance i think it comes back to the ecosystem you have knowing who you are um you know i think weak people want revenge um i think strong people forgive and i think intelligent people ignore and that to me is everyone that i know who has been mega successful at any point and there's, they're all over campus. They're all in the state. I'm talking to them. <laughs> like at some point people are going to have opinions and you're like, Hey, you're entitled to your opinion. It just doesn't mean that it's true. And in this day and age with social media being what it is and people wanting to focus on uh, anything they can at any point, um, 
yeah, those are things you you confront and you say, hey, this is what it is. And you tell people the truth. I'm not saying every single kid who's ever played for me has had the best experience, but that's any single coach at any level. It's getting harder and harder to coach at this level, which comes back to recruiting. You've got to find like-minded people and families who know what you're about and know what you're into. But yeah, I think uh, it's a chapter just like any other chapter and new cycles are new cycles. And um, if, if you, if you are, if you, if you can look yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, I care about this. I know I'm a good person. I'm working my butt off every day to help people. You've got great staff around you. You're able to retain the whole team. You're able to hire great people. You're able to have real competitive success. You're able to recruit at the highest level in the country. It's what it is, man. And uh, like I said, a lot of it, I just ignored. Um, it was really hard on my wife, really hard on my my, yeah. my family. That's that, what I wanted to ask about more, because obviously yeah. in this conversation, you have put so much of the focus on your team and the people around you. You've mentioned your wife and kids many times. Yeah, yeah. Forget about you. It's about the people around you when something like that happens. Yeah. How how were you able to, how was that for you? And how were you able to support them during that? I, I think, um, I think the hardest thing was that, you know, some people who had some real issues with things, what people, you're not allowed to tell your story. I think that's the number one thing. So kids who your wife are nursing back to health and kids that you're, you know, you're, you're trying to do everything you can to give them a good experience. And uh, you're getting text messages from people saying you changed my life and I'd be, I wouldn't be where I'm at without you. And then it flips. It's, there's nothing you can do. You just say, okay. And you move on. And um, I don't have like outside of some of the trophies in the office and stuff. I don't keep anything from my past. I have, I have stuff from my past and trophies and medals and I don't care. It's always about the next thing. I think for me, it's always about the next thing. This was a great year for IU volleyball. It's about, it's about recruiting now. It's, it's about training these kids it's about the next thing. It's, it's always been that way. And uh, like I said, I just don't have any fear. I, when I met with the administration here, I told them what they told me. They said, we believe in you. We, we know you're a good human being. We know you can coach your ass off. You're going to do a great job here. We know that's who you are. And I said, listen, this is what I think I am. This is what I think I can do. And two years later, maybe we're right. I think about all the noise that's out there now, you know, generally, broadly speaking, and you're raising three kids. And you obviously feel a great deal of responsibility for all the young people in your program. And uh, we didn't have to grow up with social media. And I wonder how you're handling that with these these young folks coming into your program who probably have already been affected by it to some degree, have, have been brought up with it to a large degree. Yeah. How do you how do you keep them in the real world? We tell them the truth a lot. Uh, we tell them to value the the uh, the relationships they have. Again, this comes back to my staff, you know, Rachel and Kevin and Brett and Hal and these guys are so good at spending time with them. And, you know, the, the social media world is um, the Instagram stuff and the Twitter stuff and what it's 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 not real, you know, and if, if you it's the basketball guys, the basketball, you miss a game winning shot. And you've got 500 people telling you that you suck and they've got three followers and you're like, okay, like, you know what, if, if Woody sits you down and said that was a bad shot, listen to Woody. And if, if, you know, if, if after a match, I tell a kid, listen, it wasn't your best match, but you did this, this, and this great. And your effort was awesome. Listen to me. Like you've got to, you've got to be able to focus in on that stuff. And um, you know, one of those cliche things is that you wouldn't want to switch places from people. No, no one's going to criticize you if they're in a better position than you are. Like all the top people I talk to would say, Hey, you're doing a great job. You're building a great program. 
you're a great guy. Let's have dinner. Like you don't get torn down by people who aren't looking for someone hurt. People hurt people, Mm. you know? So people who have real issues with, you know, if one of my kids has a bad match and they're getting blown up on social media and you see it more and more now in women's volleyball. Um, and it's hard on the women's side too, because they don't, not only do they have to play great, they have to look great. They have to talk great. They have to, the, the pressure's off the chain when they've got to do all these things. So um, I think it's about being grounded, making sure they're, they, they are where their feet are. They know they've got an incredible ecosystem here. Um, we care about them as people more uh, than as players. Um, and I've told this to every, every, you know, I was fortunate to win this thing a few times. I've been to final fours. I don't, I'm not going to bend stuff to try to win. And I have to, there's not that. It's I want them to feel it. I want them to see their name selected. I want them to do stuff and break records and have crowds and all this stuff because I want them to experience it because I think it's fun. Um, so I want them listening to the people in, in their life they should be listening to and, and not anyone else. So let's get to know you a little bit off the volleyball matches. What are you into? Like what what are I love, you I love rap? I love Canadian. Wait, hold on, give us give us three favorite <laughs> rappers. We need three uh, favorite rappers. Well, my, well, see, this is where it gets really tough because a few years ago here, I said I wanted to teach a class on the history of hip hop. And mm. so we could go down a real. So my favorite MCs of all time, we'll go there. So I love okay. Black Thought from the Roots. Ooh, nice. Uh, I think I think Nas is in the conversation. I mean, sure. I the Biggie and the Tupac and all that stuff. Trust me, I listened to it all growing up. But I was listening to stuff like uh, Black Moon and Most Deaf. And we, I mean, Kevin and I and Rach went and saw most deaf in concert. I'm a huge Drake guy, but that's by design. Um, <laughs> it's a Canadian thing. So Gotta I've always do it. Been Canada. Um, yeah. So music is a really important rock part. him. You, you big into the rock him Eric being rock him early guru yeah. early. All A lot of stuff we could talk for a long time about hip hop. We can just throw that out there. I, I I'm, I'm going to suggest a whole separate podcast where it's just you and Rabbi talking about hip hop every week. <laughs> that's fine with me. I'd be ready to do that in the off season just to have a change up. Um, yeah. Yeah. We listen my kids come in here all the time and it's on and it's heavy. And a lot of the times we can't listen to most of the stuff I listen to out there because there's too many people and right. Work. But that's been since third grade. Like if you ask my parents, I got in trouble. I had a public enemy uh, vinyl uh, when I was like in third grade. A vinyl. Wow. Yeah, so I had some early vinyl that got me in some trouble, but it's been the same thing the whole way. It's I've been very consistent with that. Were um, you a, Were you a third base guy back in the day? Yeah, of course, gas face, and yes. and, and that uh, that that whole thing turned into the we we'll go into that later. <laughs> um, I like uh, I like like I said, I'm a Canadian. I'm from Toronto, grew up in London. I love the the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah. That's the passionate team that I root for, um, and I won't miss a game as, if possible. Even if we're playing in Big Ten facilities, warming up, I'll have the stats up on the thing before <laughs> we start just to find out if they're winning. Um, that's really important to me. Um, obviously, I, I love Las Vegas. Mm. Um, one of my favorite cities but most of that is my wife's a chef yeah so i was gonna get i want to get into your whole wife you gotta yeah, tell us about the yeah. wife story so she was the sous chef at pelican hill resort in newport beach we lived out there for four years and she would cook for everyone she there was ndas they, they, there was people from all over the world coming to eat that and getting married and stuff they couldn't talk about pretty well we got to talk about that for a second this fascinates me because okay. i have dreams about me being not a sous chef but being a line order cook at like a diner, I'm fascinated by it. And it freaks me out because of the stress and pressure. Being a sous chef at Pelican Hill for that many people at that quality, that has got to be one of the most stressful jobs in the world. 
Yeah. Um, and there's how... a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of correlations. It's, it's a lot like coaching. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Brandy and I have talked for years, mostly me, not much her about <laughs> writing a book. Um, so if you guys got any connections on this, but I want to talk about, cause all uh, athletes love to cook and all these people cook for athletes, but you know, when you get orders, when there's 20 or 30 orders at a time and people are spending thousands on meals and an ingredient runs out and something happens and then there's a fire and, you know, like there's some, there's some wild stuff that goes on in kitchens and, um, the stress level is really intense. Um, the only, and the only difference I think is, well, that's not true. I, if you have a bad meal, everyone in the world's going to tell, you know, yeah, especially now, if you have a bad match, it's the same thing. It's they can't coach and they can't. Okay. So the only difference is you don't really know the sous chef by name. That's the difference. You just, you just ruin the restaurant. You don't (laughs) really, although we're also in a world now where chefs have become celebrities. And so that, but, but you're right. It is, it is the same thing. People want to run to their reviews and posts to shit on something if they can. Uh, most often because, you know, if it's really, really good, you'll tell a buddy that if it's bad, you'll tell the internet, right? It's just a whole deal. Um, back to Vegas. So she, she has friends, uh, obviously loves the, it's the best culinary city in the world. Call it what it is. Cause all the best of the best of everything is there. So if my parents will come and babysit, or if we got friends to hang out with the babies, we'll go there for a few days. She likes to go to the pool and relax and do that. I like to just sit and watch every sport imaginable, have a cocktail. You're a sports book guy, not a tables guy. I'm a penny slot guy. (laughs) I don't want to think like everyone's like, when you go there, I don't want to sit beside someone playing blackjack. And they're like, how did you say hit on? I don't want to do math. Right. When I'm here, I'm working and we go and we go really hard for many months. When I go to Las Vegas, I don't want to be critiqued on anything other than just, Hey, and wear a Maple Leafs jersey and have people high five me and be the What's your favorite book. What's your favorite book to go to you Caesars guy. That's a good sports book. Um, well, our, we're staying a lot recently. We've stayed, we, we used to stay in Mandalay a lot at Delano. Yeah. Um, and we liked being on that end of the strip. We stay now, um, park MGM, uh, okay. is a smoke free property, which yeah, is kind of cool. No, that's not for me. That's no, not but for stay me. With me. Stay with me. Uh, <laughs> the cigar lounges, the cigar lounge at Caesars is awesome. So if you want to go, is. Lounge, go there, Casa but, de Monte Cristo. Yeah. But this is another topic we could get into for four or five hours because I could tell you restaurants, sneaky spots, great place to watch things, great little uh, dive. How bar. often do you go? Do you go a couple times a year? Five or six. Wow, that yeah, is I'm probably two or three of them on my own. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you just do you find it decompressing that you're it's, able to just let go? Literally, is the only place I want to be. I love the energy of it. If you sit in a, yeah, in a you like people, you like being around people. You do. You don't want to be, you would not do well at a, a silence retreat. I lived in Newport coast, California. We were a mile and a half for the beach for four years. I went to the beach three times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's just how that works. It's not my yeah. thing. When you sit down there, it's like, I tell my wife, what do you do? You lie down and then what? Yeah, <laughs> I need something happening. So, and I'll cheer for, you know, I'll watch professional soccer. I love the EPL. Uh, I'll watch hockey. I'll cheer for basketball. If there's some guy at the bar that's cheering for NC state hoops, 
I'll have a beer with them and cheer like crazy. Like, I just think it's, it is about energy. It's about being around people that are yeah, happy and excited. An guy. And most people going to Vegas are incredibly happy and excited. It's just coming home. A lot of people <laughs> yeah. aren't as steady, aren't quite as steady. So. If I can just slide you a recommendation, if you're looking to save a few bucks when you're in Vegas and you want to be close to the MGM, let me recommend the Oyo, <laughs> whereas we thought it'd been turned into a boutique hotel completely severed from its past as the Hooters Hotel and Casino. It's not. They still got the Hooters <laughs> in there. And Oyo is actually just the eyes and the beak of the Hooters owl. So don't worry. All the charm is still there and the weird bad smells. Yeah. For for if you, you can hit a pitching wedge across the street and spend 20 more bucks and you're at MGM Grand. That's what I would <laughs> Exactly. No, more board's not going to do that. Board's not going to do that. Fair All right. Um, I want to get into food a little bit here. Your wife, clearly an accomplished chef. Are you a foodie? Were you a foodie before your wife? Have you become a foodie? No, I mean, I'll go really cool places with her because it makes her really happy to try stuff that's really, really out there and unique or she has a ton of respect for people in the industry that do a certain thing. Um, you know, at home, I cook a lot. I've really? learned a lot because when she was working a ton, it was nights and weekends and she was gone. So, and especially early with the kids, she was still working a little bit. So the kids like it when I cook and I, we've got, you know, that's when I get to spend some time with them and actually really be there with them and be where my feet are. Um, where she really flexes is when the staff comes over. Yes. Or if buddies come to town or if the team comes over. So that's where it goes to a place where I've said this before and I've known like there's some really good restaurants in Bloomington. There really are. And there's some really good talented people. The best restaurant in Bloomington is when my wife decides to flex on it. <laughs> and, and I will I will take that to the bank. Uh, and anyone who's eaten at my house will tell you the same thing. I, I oh, have heard this. In fact, let's say Martin, let Let's say we come over. Okay. 100%. What you and your wife put the menu together. You're her sous chef. What what's on the menu? Uh bourbon from me. So <laughs> that's uh, probably a, a really, really good Cohiba that I got from a buddy in Canada. There we go. Are, we, are you guys allowed to smoke Cubans? What do you mean are we allowed to? Yeah, like, the government's I, not I, tracking us. Okay, we'll just make it sure. We'll find <laughs> some of those for you. And uh -huh. then we'll do that. And then we need 24 hours notice. You got to tell my wife what your favorite genre is. Right. And then we just get out of the way. Oh, I love. Now, I am very curious, though. If I if I had a conversation with your wife and said three restaurants in Bloomington. Yep. Give me the three. What would she say? Uh, she would tell you Uptown Cafe is the most consistent. Uh, nice. And again, she talks about it like people talk about textbooks, right? Right. Um, she likes that. She really likes Southern Stone recently, which is right. kind of off campus. Yep, I've heard of that. Southern Charm, which is good. And honestly, like she is, um, I say this with the utmost respect, and, and Brandy is beautiful and intelligent and everything, but cooks are pirates. <laughs> so like she, like if we go on a date night, she wants a burger and a bourbon and she'll have three or four bourbons or she wants like a, a wrap. She wants it. She just wants to hang out with people and have a beer and watch. Like she doesn't care about the sports. She doesn't know about the sports. Right. She just wants to hang out with people who are excited and happy. And um, she's from the South. She's from Auburn, Alabama. So she, she only cares about you guys being happy. That's it. It's the wow. hospitality side of it. So it's, that's it. So she's always. What about pizza? What about pizza? If the Arabs are ordering pizza, where are we ordering pizza from? So mother bears doesn't deliver. Hmm. 
So that's that's what the kids like is when we go to the Mother Bears on campus. They're into that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's probably 10 in town that the kids will want. Pizza, Xavers, um, all the different stuff that goes out there that they'll order uh, when I'm not around. The only other thing that's unique is that I don't eat eggs. Mm-hmm. I haven't had an egg since 1997. <laughs> what? what happened in 1997? <laughs> what happened? I was playing at a world championship in, in Costa Rica. And I tell all the recruits this when we go to breakfast. So for seven straight days, breakfast and lunch were just scrambled eggs and they were bad and terrible. Oh. We're staying at a Chinese mafia hotel. And at the end, there's just a room <laughs> of chickens. And on the last day, they have this banquet and it's just like this chicken fried chicken banquet. The chickens were all like the sounds were gone. But coming back from that, coming back from that, I hadn't had an egg. So like my family will have my wife will make like breakfast for dinner and don't go out and do that stuff. It's not my thing. But what, what, a good breakfast. what does your wife think of the the authenticity of the TV show The Bear? She couldn't get through the first episode. Wow. Because, because because it was, it was inauthentic too or too close to home, all of the above. And I I actually watched. I've got a little gym in my house, and I went down and put it on. I was like, okay, I'll wonder, you know, I'll give it a try because Kevin and Rachel, who were my assistants, and I'm real close with, they were like, she's gonna love it. It's so, and she turned it off halfway through. She's like, I don't need that. Like, <laughs> there's there's some there's some truth to it, and I think it's like uh, it's like anything else. She just had she's had some people in her life in that in that space and. She it's lived hard. it. She doesn't need to see it's it. A, it's a really hard thing. I mean, I think back again to do what she does at the level she does, and not to wrap it all the way around. It's it's Scott Dolson. It's Fred Glass. It's Woody. It's Terry. It's people at this level, guys. It is impossibly difficult to do, and the pressures and the the stuff that comes at them all the time from everywhere. You've got to be a different breed to be really really good and ascend to a level that these guys are at or that my wife's at, or the people at Pelican Hill are at. It's a, you have to be built a certain way, you know? And I think, uh, I think there's a ton of, of people that aren't built for it. And I think there's people that are, and I think that's just the truth in every, every profession. Uh, favorite movie of all time. Any of the bond movies. You're a big bond guy, but rank them. Give me your best bond movie. Dr. No. Great. Is number one. I think. Uh, so Connery is your number one. Right. Yeah, and that's just dad and mom and growing up with it. I mean, it was always on at home. Well, it's just facts. It's just facts. He's the All best. Right, but, but number two, there could be some debate. Yeah, I'll this go is with actually Casino Royale. Yes. It's my yes. number two of all time. And that bond, the Daniel Craig bond, was special in that movie. I and... couldn't agree more. That movie, I do think they've all gone downhill since then, though. Yeah, and then listen, I've watched every single one of them probably three thousand times. So <laughs> I mean, all of them, all of them have a special kind of thing. Um or a special reason, the villains, the, the the love interests, everything we could talk about forever. That's another topic. Did you watch the documentary on George Lazenby? Uh, George Lazenby was my least favorite everything. Uh, <laughs> interesting, interesting. That that one, and that was a pretty highly rated Bond movie. On Her the, Majesty's Secret, Secret Service. Yeah, yeah. The, like people were like, oh, it was unique and it was this. And I was like, man, I could, I, it's not my thing. Yeah, but you, you've you got to watch the documentary they did on his life. He is, it, it, it made me like him so much more. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he didn't just arrive there too. He probably had some, some talent and some skills. And Yeah, yeah. It was just London and it was a special time and place that that guy showed up. Um, <clears throat> what do you think about the, well, let's, let's go this way. Who would you like to be the next James Bond? I don't know film enough to know who kind of, you know, I, what I liked about Daniel Craig, I'll say this is that he was real physical. 
Yes. I thought as the world was kind of going through like the MMA thing and these guys who were like, you look at me wrong and it's over. He just became, he got bludgeoned. It didn't matter. You know, I never felt with uh, like Roger Moore. I always felt like he was going to get knocked out. Like he, yeah. he was, he was pretty and had his thing, but he's not Daniel Craig, man. Yeah. But, Agreed. Uh, so that was an interesting thing, but no, I, you know, we watch, we don't watch a ton of, I don't watch a ton of uh, TV. I don't watch a ton of movies unless we're on the road, but usually it's film. And then in the off season, um, that's where I'll start to get into some of that and have a little downtime, but I haven't right, watched. Well, give me favorite TV show of all time. West Wing. Yes. Oh, yes. You, you got a That's friend a for life. Answer. Well, That's and, a correct here, answer. And, and here's, and here's why I think that um, newsroom is a show and West Wing and uh, who's the guy. Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, I think he might be in the top three most brilliant writers in the history. Like his yeah. stuff, whatever he did, I'm into. And yeah. uh, I, I think that kind of level of discourse for me is is if I'm watching something, I want it to be as witty as and sophisticated as that. Um, so yeah, West Wing for me. I like the Blacklist. I like you know, there's stuff that I got into, but West is Wing it, is special. Is it fair to say that if I was casting Steve Aird in the West Wing, you are I'm going to say, God, I'm, I think you're Leo. I think you're the Leo of yeah, the West not, I'm not good looking enough to be Sam. Right. I, no, definitely not. Nobody Josh, is. Josh was. Josh is a too, little too I'm Josh. crazy. I'm Josh. You're, I think like, that'd be fine. I think Josh, Josh always had stuff going on. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I would want to, I would be the one you call when you need something done. Yes. Just get executes. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got your back no matter what. If right. you cross him, you know, he probably knows a guy who can take care of you in some way that wouldn't they're be not, so great for you. not be true. Correct. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All you right, mentioned awesome. Sorkin as one of the top three writers all time. Does, do you, do you read some books, some fiction, some nonfiction? What's your literary taste? I, I mean, I've gone through the normal, uh, the regular uh, run of the mill coaching books forever. I read a ton of business books. Um, what did I just finish? Um, Atomic Habits. I read Talent oh. is Overrated. Um, Extreme Ownership was good. Like I'll read stuff that's different. Um, yeah. I don't want to read something about volleyball or sport or football. I, and, and it's funny because other sports sometimes will teach you. I like going like Luca Fickle plays for me now. I, I talked to Luke Fickle a bunch. I just think he's a brilliant coach. And um, I like going to NFL preseason stuff. I went up to Detroit and watched the Patriots and the Lions train. Um, I like sneaking into basketball practice to see what they do and how they do it. Um, I like to learn from other people that are really, really good at what they do and then try to like football practice. I watched the, I watched the Patriots and, and the lions. This was four or five years ago. Tom Brady was still going. Belichick walks out, you know, visor shorts. Brady walks out. It looks like there's an aura around him. It's the crazy. It's like LeBron. I've seen LeBron and some athletes just look like they're cosmic. But everything was on the minute. Their teams were bang. It was on time. Bang. Everything was this. And the Lions were all over the place at the time. And I'm like, that's just not going to last. It's not going to last. Like you could tell immediately. So stuff like that with, with organizations, I think, is important. I don't ever want to be too rigid. Um, I recruit players. I don't really have a system. I recruit players and then build the system around them. So I'm not like a 2-3 zone guy or we need to go man-to-man -man defense. I've got to find this. For me, it's about finding the best players and the best fit for me personally, and then building the system around them. Um, mm. 
And then, yeah, reading a ton of, like, like I said, I got a business law degree from Penn state marketing minor. Um, I wanted to build stuff. I wanted to, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked at some point in my life if I try to get involved in something different. Um, but not until I get this done. Like, yeah, this. you're an entrepreneur. Can I ask a couple wonky volleyball questions as yep. I've tried to get more and more into it? So you talked about Cameron, who I, I think it's fair to say that you could argue that she had the best season in the history of IU volleyball. Nope. I think Ashley Benson in 2010. Okay. All right. They went one the, of one of the best. That's daughter of Benson of basketball. Kurt Benson. Yes. Yeah. So she, Kent, she, Kent Benson. she had, I think she was the best. She's the, she was the best player this program's had. And Cam is nipping at her heels right now. All right. So one of the amazing things about Cam is she's a setter, but she's lefty. Mm -hmm. So she does this thing. And I don't know if there's a word for it where you think she's going to set and she goes up. It reminds me of a changeup from a pitcher, a starting yep. pitcher. You yep. think it's going to be a fastball or whatever. And it turns out to be nothing else. You think she's going to be a set. And then with her left hand, she just crushes it like a thousand miles an hour and it surprises people. She yeah. won a ton of points uh -huh. for, for the team with that. Talk to me about is, first of all, is that something that you like as a coach want to recruit? It seems like such a weapon and I don't see it. I only watch Indiana volleyball. I sure. haven't seen it from other teams. So yeah. how unique is that in the game of volleyball? Well, the technical phrase you're looking for, you know, is, just beat the shit out of it. That's what we do. <laughs> Anytime it's close to the net, just go and get it. So that's number okay. one. Number two would be, uh, yeah, the left-handed advantage. Most of the balls are coming at you. So you can make that decision or do this. And left-handed setters have always traditionally had the advantage to do it. Doesn't mean you can do it. Doesn't mean you can do it well. Um, she's just pretty special at it and has been early. Same Why thing. is it an advantage to be lefty in the setter position? So Because you don't see right-handed people doing that as much. No, if you were to flip the whole thing and then set the balls the other direction, the balls would be in pass. We pass the ball towards the middle right half of the court. So the ball is coming towards her as a left-handed player. She can track it and see the net and see the blockers. But is that because most people are right-handed hitters so that a typical setter would be setting to the yeah. right-handed person? Most of the balls that you set to the left side of the court will travel the farthest. The balls in the middle are short and kind of quick. The balls behind, whether off one foot or two feet, are usually four, five, six feet away from the setter. So if the court is 30 feet wide, the setter is usually about 10 feet in from the right-hand side of the court and about 20 feet to the other. Okay. Yeah. But again, like when we, anywhere it's close to the net, we want her to go get it. And she's got it's great incredible. vision. She, yeah. She's, she's, she's as good. She's as good as anyone in the country at that skill. All right, well, now let's. We, can I, you, I've got another wonky question. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to talk about cars. Oh, you can. Well, who knows? I mean, with with Steve, you could go anywhere. Um, I just think we we should touch on Ramsey. Like, I mean, you you, you talk about bringing in great players, players that make an impact immediately, are breaking yeah. records immediately. Um, you know, just educate us on what makes her so special. She's built different. I think it was how she was raised. She's got dads and uncles and athletic people around her played for a great club that you had already mentioned and kids from that area just go hard, man. And uh, I saw her ninth grade. The best story I can tell you might've been 10th grade. It was right when Wilkinson opened. We're playing a game where you're, it's kind of a camp game where you serve. If you win, you go to the winner's side. If you lose, you go on to the next court. 
And she just gets a ball card. There's no one on the other side. And she just starts serving. She goes one, two, three, four. And one of my assistants at the time was like, you're not going to wait for a team to play. She's like, I'm trying to win. (laughs) Right. And if I would have told you going into the year, she would have said, Hey, I'm going to break this record. And she played through injury before the Michigan match, the final match of the year. Yeah. Throwing up all day. They didn't want her to play. She had nothing in her system. She needed 11 digs to break the school record. And I told Jeremy Gray on a text, I said, there is 100% chance that this kid is going to do this. And he got back to me and said, she's Larry Bird, basically. And and she just said, okay, my man, she didn't warm up, warmed up for like nine minutes, goes into the match, smashes the record, we win. And then uh, yesterday, text my assistants because she wanted to be in the gym today training. Wow. You know, she's, she's everything you want, period. And we've got more of that than you would think. Like that's starting to be what we're about. Um, she's, she's so special ward as a, as a competitor, um, and a, and a good kid, you know, a good kid, great in school, great family, everything you want. All right. We talked about serving and how serving is a real weapon for you guys. I don't even understand the physics of serving because the net is seven feet four, right? Yep. You impressed that I knew that? I, I, you just looked it up, didn't you? You just no, I, looked it up. I looked it up yesterday. I looked it up yesterday. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But seven foot four. The tallest person on your team is what, six two, six three? Yeah, and, and north, yeah, six three, six okay. four. Sure. And if their arm is up, okay, they're like seven four. But then the ball's got to travel a whole bunch of feet. Uh-huh. The Just serving, period. I remember playing volleyball just recreationally and being nervous as hell whenever it was my turn to serve because I knew I would never get it over the net. Yeah. But you have players who throw the ball a hundred feet in the air, run at it at full speed, jump at the exact right moment, hit it as hard as they can. And it makes it so that it is like an impossible thing to deal with on the other side. But that also leads to a lot of errors. Uh, I don't know if they call them errors, but into the net where you hit it into the net. And you and I had this conversation. I thought I found it fascinating. You're a numbers guy. You're a data guy. It's just analytics for you at that point, right? Like you have to succeed a certain number of times with the with the crazy fast technical beat the shit out of it serve uh-huh. to be okay with the number of times that you hit it into the net. How are people going to beat uh, Indiana basketball this year? Uh, they're going to shoot the three pointer until they're blue. In the oh, face, oh, right? basketball! Yes, yeah, shoot because, the three because you don't want to go anywhere near the paint because the guys are too physical and too tough, and they're going to play. They're going to alter shots and they're going to do everything. And I've watched four or five games in a row, and these teams are just heaving up threes yes. at a record rate. We've got to be that in women's volleyball because we're not as physical and not as talented. We we've got we've got to shoot a lot of three pointers. So from the service line, the easiest way to score a point is just bang the shit out of it and score a point. Let's be done. But you're going to miss some. But when you play Wisconsin, Nebraska, and these guys, if you give them an easy serve and they have a pretty good pass, you're not going to score anyway. Right. So what's your stomach for that? Now, listen, we we have more aces now, and we miss – like there was a chart that came out last week. We're the best-serving team in the country. We have the most aces with a very reasonable number of misses, mm. which is why the other teams struggle so bad when they play us. That's come a long way. When we get better over the next year or two, we'll probably miss lots and less serves because I'm not interested in just giving away a ton of free points if I feel like we could just throw the ball over and play and beat you. So, but this confidence is too many teams that are just flat out better. So you've got to find, like, you've got to play faster than the other team. 
you got to play harder than them. That's any sport. You know, we play really hard and then we rely on that. That's a tool. And we recruit it. I mean, Kenzie, yeah, I was going to say you recruit to that. Kenzie Daphne is a kid on our team who her, her, her arm swing through a volleyball is one of the prettiest, most poetic things I've ever seen. And she's been like that since ninth grade. And so when I saw her, I knew we, we needed her on the team because that skill can break open a match and it does. So we have three, you know, two, three, four kids on the team at any point. And the other thing I love about it is it dictates terms. You may beat us, but I'm telling you how we're beating, you're beating us. You don't get to decide. If we have a bad serving day, if we miss 53 pointers and eh, we had a bad shooting night, but you didn't beat us. Hmm. Right. What year did volleyball change where you get points on everything? Cause it used to be, you only got points on serve, right? Yeah. I honestly, I'm going to lie. If I tell you, I think it was early two thousands. Okay. Uh, and then it might've been, yeah, the libero rule changed in late, like 99, 2000, where you had a back row player in a different color Jersey. And then, uh, we play when, when we won the national championship in 2007, the games were to 30 instead of okay. 25 they're really trying to find a formula for tv mm. i think it's good for tv now i think the sport is it's like close. perfect for tv it's close it's just you don't know if it's going to be a three game or a five game thing it could be an hour 15 it could be two and a half that's hours. true so that for tv true. you guys know tv more than anyone it's if it's a two-hour chunk a one-hour chunk and you get you can sell the no that's true stuff and i do think if we're going to talk business for a second i think sports live sports is the last true bastion of advertising dollars it, it is so okay. like if you're if you're gonna watch everything else that my kids watch, my wife, me, you, you watch when you want to watch, except for live sports. Right. No, it's exactly it's why the rights have been so valuable for everything. Unless you're me, unless you're me and you're uh, up on a mountain yesterday and you're trying not to get the IU basketball game or the Colts football game spoiled. And so you have 300 text messages on your phone when you get in late at night and watch five straight hours of sports. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a unique, a unique approach, but <laughs> it's um, not ideal. I don't like in volleyball that if you serve and it hits the net and it trickles over, that's fair. That I don't like that. It should be like tennis. It, it should be like to, tennis. It used to be. Well, it used to, if it hit the net, it was a point for the other team immediately. If it just hit the net. Yeah. I think if it hits the net, you get, and it goes to the other side, you should get a redo. Yeah. But, it just but, take time. Again, the same thing. The thing about our sport is that there's a point every play. So yeah, fast. I know that. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Fast and it moves. Am I going to get uh, two minutes of unbridled time to talk about what I want to talk about? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Here's what I want to talk about. There's two things. Number one, I want to talk about how I appreciate you guys. Uh, well, we no, but, no, you don't like talking about yourself. No, but, but only two minutes? Only yeah, two no. minutes? <laughs> stay with me. Lord, you're jamming me up. I'm at a minute 40 now. Here, here's what I... They're just like me, just like Woody, just like Scott. There's people with opinions about everything. I love the fact that people want to help the kids that are here. All I read is all this stuff about how basketball this and football this and the administration this. If everyone's energy just focused on doing the right thing for the kids that we coach, trying to give them opportunities, trying to help with NIL, trying to help them with experiences, being like, how do we help? It would be pretty cool. So that's public service announcement number one. I appreciate that because you guys genuinely, and people always think, oh, they just care about basketball. That's not true. We're in California. Every one of my kids left that thing being like, I can't believe those guys are that great. And that's how they feel. And that's how they should feel. I know women's hoops feels the same way. I, anyone who wants to help an IU Hoosier in an athletic endeavor here, to me, matters and has a space. Second thing your people need to understand, and I say your people, people who watch, because I'm a volleyball guy, 
I kind of know hoops. Your people know hoops. NIL stuff's real. It's real in football. It's real in basketball. Uh, we had the day of giving the other day. Any of those organizations that are trying to help, thanks. I mean, like it really is what it is. Because if we want football to be good here, for every time someone's saying that Scott doesn't know what he's doing, it should be like, okay, hey, Scott's really smart. He's making moves. He's got to do what he's got to do and support him. And then support the new coach. And then support Woody and Terry. And do everything they can to help. Because that's the one thing that bothers me the most about college sports. You root for teams, but you spend half the time bashing the teams. Let's just root for teams. They have a bad performance. I promise you guys, there's not one team here that's not busting their ass. And this is as talented a group of coaches as I've ever been around. And I've been in it a long time. And I'm. Uh, it's a great place that cares. The administration really cares about the kids. They've got nutrition. They've got trainers. They've got all the all the um, all the spokes you could imagine. And everyone here is pulling the rope. And that's all we ever look for. Nebraska volleyball has a five million dollar NIL fund. Okay, we lost to them by two points here. And you got hosed. You got hosed. My my <laughs> point being is that we are doing. These kids are doing remarkable things because they love Indiana and they're tough kids and they play hard and they're not asking for the world. But if people can help their experience be 2% better, please believe it's going to help us be 2% better. And that's it. It's, it's really that simple. And people who care enough to do what you guys are doing really matter to the people here that matter. And I hope you guys know that. That is, uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, listen, we've taken up a lot of your time. We could, we're going to do more of these. We got to do with the wrap episode. You got one more question? I have one more question. Coach, to my my absolute shock, maybe it has something to do with IU women's volleyball being really fun to watch now, but my daughter, eighth grade, never has shown any interest in sports whatsoever her whole life, said, Dad, I want to play volleyball. So she's just starting off. What is one piece of advice I can pass on to her from Coach Aird about how to start as a volleyball player? Find something good locally with people that are passionate and happy and get in the gym and knock it around and fail like crazy. Hmm. It's going to take time to get anywhere close to good. And a lot of the players that I've coached uh, were real bad, real bad, real bad, real bad, great. And that's just part of it. Uh, Brian Evans. Yes. Absolute stud. His daughter's a stud. She's going to have a great career. Jared Jeffries, one of my favorite humans. Yeah. Uh, I try to find him in Vegas as much as possible. <laughs> He'll be there. He's there. <laughs> he's there. And he's, uh, but anyway, like the, the basketball world, there's some really good guys on the basketball side of it that uh, have been great and their daughters are playing and they're going to have great careers. And um, yeah, Brian's daughter is fantastic. And I love that family. He's a great dude. I know you guys have him on. And Jared is one of the greats in yes. every, Every sense of the word, Jared. <laughs> what do you have to say to Ward's daughter when she curses the fact that her father left her no athletic ability? Yeah, I mean that's between her and dad, man. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got to look at the glass half full. At least Eric's not her dad. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting. Uh, well, how do you know? That's more interesting. Uh, the, the good news is you you saw our team, Eric. We we've got kids that are five three five four. We got kids that are six four six. Yeah, five. but they're athletic. But they're athletic. <laughs> we do we do have some good athletes. They so. got bounce. Listen, <laughs> man. Let me just say this: 
you ran through a list of people earlier when we were talking about like CEOs and, and you were even referring to your wife and people that are in those high pressure jobs, Terry and Woody and Dolson, and just they're built different. And you conveniently left yourself out of that list because you don't talk about yourself like that. What you have done at Indiana with Indiana Volleyball the, the staff you have assembled, the people you have recruited, and the way that you have been, I'm going to use this word, intrepid in going through the obstacles that you have had to face there. Both some, I, I wouldn't say like, you knew some of them coming in. You knew what you were facing, you know, with rebuilding or building a program. And some of them totally out of your control. But you have been so focused and passionate. Your energy is infectious. You are one of those people that is built different. It's why Ward and I fell in love with you the first time we got a chance to meet you. It's why we went out and did that pep rally way yeah. back when in front of Assembly Hall when there was a, a home game. But the fact that you had the idea to do that, you get it in a way that very few do. I respect it. I admire it. I love what you're about. I, I love everything you're doing there. I want nothing but success for you and that program, and we will do anything we can to help support it. I am so proud that you are the head volleyball coach at Indiana, and it's been a pleasure and an honor to get to know you. Appreciate all of that, man. That was super rad. Thanks, right. Coach. We uh, we can't wait to see what next season brings. Yeah, we're going to be good. That's what that's what we're going to be. That's, uh, I that's, like that. That started after last night, man. We're back at it for sure. All right, man. Be good. Thanks, guys. See you soon. That was a guest. That was a guest. You and you said it perfectly. The first time that we met him in person, um, it, it was just like meeting a force of nature. And you just knew it. It's like, this guy's got something. Um, and it's been really, it's been challenging, truthfully, to support him when he was going through that crap. I felt so bad for him. But seeing him come out the other side and how good this program is getting, this is going to be a truly satisfying, amazing achievement when they do make that NCAA tournament, which could come next year. When that happens, it's going to be a momentous event for Indiana Volleyball. I just have such awe and respect for somebody who can come in and and obviously he knows what he's doing. He was an excellent volleyball player tons of experience as a coach but to build something out of nothing out of nothing it, the, you, you can even argue out of negative <laughs> i mean I, I really do mean that because you're starting not even from zero but from a hole yeah. that you have to repair before you can even have a foundation to build something but the level of energy and belief and consistency in both of those things to climb out of the hole, get on ground level, build a ladder and start climbing it. It's, it's just remarkable. And when you listen to him talk and, and it comes through in zoom as well in person, it is otherworldly. It's just like, well, yeah, it's going to take that sort of freak of nature to build something in the greatest volleyball conference in the country and to know he's had this time, this run, 
to get the program up to speed, competing with the very best teams in the country slash the conference. It's the same thing. Um, and that now you've got these West Coast teams coming in and that, you know, if if that had happened a few years earlier, it would have made it that much more difficult. But now that that they can be across the net from those teams, they can come out here and play those teams and we can go watch those games. It just gives you so much confidence and excitement for where the program is right now, the direction it's headed, because it's only going to get more popular. I think you see with all the matches that show up on the Big Ten network, like I really do think it is one of the most exciting spectator sports out there. And to have a team that is relevant and competitive and is winning, it's a lot of fun. And it's just another another thing Indiana University Hoosiers can be proud of and look forward to. Yeah. He blew me away when he said 12 of the 18 teams in the conference have won national titles. I'm just looking at basketball, how many it's like, you can't really count some of these like before 1932, but like in the last hundred years, there's basically Ohio state, five. Michigan, five. it's five. And then if you put in UCLA coming in, it's six out of 18. And he's got 12 out of 18. I mean, that <laughs> is just remarkable. I agree with everything you said about just admiring that energy and that focus and that drive. And to be able to weather... The, the thing that amazes me the most about people like that is how they weather the failure. Because you have to deal with so much of that before you... And to, to, to stay focused on, I still see the light. Like, look at his first several years. They were rough at Indiana. Yeah. And he just kept focused. He knew what he was going to do. He kept... Like, I loved it. I love that force of will. That's what it is. It's this force of will. Although I did read a, a book recently that I want you to read after I read it that is all about how there is no free will, period. Okay. None of us have free will. Because so, we're, we're in a simulation? No, it has nothing to do with the simulation, but it's all it's all it's, been determined. But by the by the aliens. No, not by the aliens, Ward. <laughs> Not by the aliens, unless you consider neurons and electrons aliens. Maybe, maybe, maybe a non-human intelligence at work amongst us. No big deal. Just this book. Okay. So, so yeah, I'll read it. Yeah. Send it my way. Um, But anyway, uh, love Steve Aird. Love what he's about. Can't believe I forgot to ask him to do it, even though you tried to get me to do it. Follow us on Twitter. But this is another example of how laser focused then on it this guy is. I held up my hands and I said, wait, stop. And he was just like, boom, out of the meeting. Boom, on to the next thing. We, we, we tried. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, Ward, I'm the one who hit remove. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But the what the hell? (laughs) See you next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.